Um, this morning, I want to talk to you about sonship. Somebody say sonship. I want to talk to you about uh, what it is and how to walk in it. And like I always say, if you got a phone, if you got a notepad, if you got a pencil, you should take notes because we want to be rooted in the word of God. Don't listen. I'm going to say a lot of okay stuff. But once the spirit of God hits it, it's going to be real good. And we don't want it to go over your head. Amen. Say it one more time. Say sonship. Sonship refers to the believer's relational and spiritual position in the household of God. The word refers to both male and females that are found hidden in Jesus Christ. So I'm not being sexist. Sonship refers to both male and females that are hidden in Jesus Christ. And it is um, Jesus Christ, if you don't know who he is, he is God's preeminent and begotten son. Okay, Sonship, it is the foundation of the believer's life in God, and it is the immediate and eternal gift of the Father as a direct result of his sovereign will and his love. Did y'all get all of that? I said a whole lot. The notes are online if you need them. So a few days ago, a few Fridays ago, actually, I was sitting in a Ninja, Ninja Warrior. Y'all watch that show, American Ninja Warrior? We love it in my house. I was sitting in a Ninja Warrior gym watching my son, um, Levi, um, you know, do his thing. And because of the, the way the layout is in this particular gym, um, I can't always see my son. So I do what every great parent would do. I just read a book. And, um, you, know, when he, you know, when he gets in my view, I look for him and check him out. But when I can't see him, I, oh, I trust you, God, and I just start reading a book. And... Um, so I'm reading, and this book is really good, and all of a sudden, I hear some, someone whisper my name, and I look up, and I see Levi, he's on this obstacle, and he's holding up his entire class, and he goes, watch this. So he does his thing, and I do what every great parent does, <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> good, buddy, I've seen you do it a thousand times, it's real good. So I proceed to read my book, and it's real good, I'm getting ministered too, and then again, I hear my name, and I look up, same kid holding up the same class on the same obstacle that I just saw him do, and he says to me again, watch this. <laughs> Immediately, I, <laughs> same thing, same facial response. And then right after that, I hear the Holy Spirit say, that's sonship. Huh? Right there, that is sonship. And so for the next, I don't know, 30 minutes or so, the rest of that class, um, the Holy Spirit, he used Levi as his class helper to teach me about sonship. And so that's where all of this came from. And so I know uh, that God has a word for us in this house today. Somebody say amen. amen. I am going to need you to talk back to me because that's the only way I'm going to do okay is if you talk back to me. Let's go to John chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. And I like to read the Amplified Version if you are on a phone or tablet. So verse 17 says, but Jesus answered them. Well, what, what just happened was Jesus just healed somebody on the Sabbath. So the Jews are confronting him about it. So verse 17, but Jesus answered them. My father has worked even until now. He has never ceased working. He is still working. And I too must be at divine work. This made the Jews more determined than ever to kill him, to do away with him, because 
He not only was breaking, weakening, violating the Sabbath, but he actually was speaking of God as being in a special sense, his own father, making himself equal, putting himself on a level with God. Here's the very first point I want to talk about. Real sonship reveals the father. Jesus did come to save us, but that's not the only thing that Jesus came to do. He came to reveal the Father. And the manifestation of sonship is only authentic. It is only real if you are revealing the Father. You know how you meet people all the time and they go, yeah, I'm a Christian. And you go, really? Your sonship is only real. It's only authentic if you are revealing the Father. And what I'm about to um, show us in these next couple of points here is that Jesus is perfect in everything he does. I love him with all my heart. But what he is, he is a model. He is the perfect picture of sonship. So when you, we say, how do I operate as a son? How do I operate as a daughter? All you got to do is look at the scripture and see what Jesus does. So I want to encourage you that as I talk, as I mention Jesus, as I say things like son, capital S-O-N, you can replace that literally with me lowercase s-o-n, daughter, child of God. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Because Jesus, he models sonship. And we have been predestined, Romans 8 teaches, um, that we be conformed to the image of the son. That's how I say Jesus is our model. How do I relate to the father? How do I do the things that the father is leading me to do? Well, I can look at an example in the word and find Jesus and what he said and did. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Listen, The moment you begin, uh, or the moment Jesus said, rather, hey, um, I'm I'm, I'm God's son. At the exact same time that he revealed the Father, at the exact same time, he began to reveal who he was in Christ. So when people see that I'm a child of God, they not only see that he is my father, but it works the direct reverse of that. He is my father, and I am his child. I am his son. But notice, I don't want you, I don't want to go any further without mentioning this. In verse 18, it says, but it made the Jews determined to kill him. I want to warn you, the moment you decide to walk in your anointing, the moment you decide to walk in your calling, the moment you decide to be what God has called you to be, his son, his daughter, not everyone is going to like that. They're going to say to you, it does not take all of that. They're going to say, you don't have to pray that much. They're going to say to you, you don't have to worship so radically. They're going to say to you, do you ever talk about something or someone else other than Jesus? And that's the attitude. That's the talk of somebody who is not walking in their sonship. I want to warn you. If you get serious about what I'm teaching this morning, and if you decide to apply it to your life and walk in it, be aware. We're going to stir up hell, but at the same time, every plan, every tool, every strategy that the enemy has, he's going to probably try to throw it at you. Anybody want to be a child of God? I know I do. Wow. Mm. See, a life conformed to Jesus, that's what it brings. It brings about that stuff. And listen, our vision here at Victory Church, it is to help you become who God created you to be. This is who God created you to be. So I know what I, I, know what I just said might have pained somebody, but listen, this is who you're called to be. This is who you're created to be. You're created to be his son. You're created to be his daughter. And I want you to get in position because there is a divine 
partnership that works when we are walking in our sonship. There is an alignment at work when we are walking in our sonship. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Nobody cares about anything you got to say unless life is coming off your tongue. Divine partnership. You see what I'm saying? You can't walk up to somebody and heal somebody in the name of Joshua. You got to walk up to them and heal them in the name of Jesus. Trying to get us in position this morning. Let's go further. Look at verse 19. So Jesus answered them by saying, I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, the son is able to do nothing of himself, of his own accord, but he is able to do only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does is what the son does in the same way in his turn. Verse 20, the father dearly loves the son and discloses to. He shows him everything that he himself does and he will disclose to him. He will let him see. He will disclose to you, church. He will let you, church, see the greater things than these so that you may marvel and be full of wonder and astonishment. So the very first point was real sonship reveals the father. Point number two is Real sonship receives from the Father. Yes, as Christians, we are called to walk in obedience to the word. But listen, sonship is not in your obedience. I know I messed up your theology when I said that. Sonship is actually found in your receiving. The obedience is the fruit of your receiving. Does that make sense what I'm saying? And it is evident here uh, that the father, he is a teacher. He gives direction and he and he gives instruction. And it is the son. It is the child of God who is ever waiting to receive from the father. He says the father shows the son all things. That's how I say the father gives instruction. The father gives directions. But we have to, as children of God, have to position ourselves to receive. I don't hear God the way Pastor Mitch hears God right here. Mm. You want to get in this word. You want to get it inside of you and you want to receive what he's saying. Listen, the father cares for you. The father is a provider. He is a protector. He is all these things. But the Bible also says that he corrects those that he loves. And I, I you know, I, I started to not even put this in here, but I thought it was very important that I put it in here. Hebrews 12, 8 talks about the discipline, the chastening of the Lord. And it's, <laughs> it says that if you think you're exempt from the discipline, from the correction, from the chastening of the Lord, then you aren't actually a son. It says you're illegitimate. The King James Version says then you are a bastard. That's what it says. I'm not cussing. That's what it says. <laughs> so there are a lot of people dancing around the Father, dancing near the Father, saying, I know the Father, but their lifestyle isn't bearing the fruit. You don't see the obedience because they fail to receive him as a father. Does that, does that, does that make sense what I'm saying? Sonship in its proper order, listen, it puts God as um, a distributor. It puts God as a teacher. It puts God as a leader, and it puts you and I as the receivers. It puts you and I as the learners. It puts you and I as the, the, the followers. And so what we learn in this passage is, or just throughout Jesus's life, is that when he models sonship, what he's actually modeling is a posture of uh, dependency on the father. He says, I am able to do nothing. 
I don't want to do nothing other than what the father tells me, other than what I see the father does. And here's the thing about the father. He loves the son. And because he loves the son, then he wants to disclose to the son. He wants to give the family business over to the son. And what real sons do is they emulate and they replicate what they see their fathers do. There is an alignment and there is a synchronization that happens when we are in real sonship. That alignment and that synchronization puts you in position to receive from the father so that you can say and do what he does. And what he says is so that you or so that others rather will marvel at the father. You mean I thought I could just sit in my prayer closet and just soak in all of the father's love and just. uh, Yes, you can. But that's not how sonship really works, because this means I would now have the heart of my father. And after I would get in this closet every day, every day with the father, I can go out and I can say, hey, this is what the father says. This is what the father does. And then they will turn and say, what must I do to be saved? You ever see kids that are very well behaved and you don't necessarily walk up to the kids and give them a compliment. You find their mama, you find their daddy and you give them a compliment. This is what I'm talking about. We want other people to to, to hear what the father says, what he gives us to say, to see us do what the father tells us to do. So they might turn and be drawn to him. We got a world to win. I believe with all my heart that there's a move of God coming to the body of Christ. And yes, God is sovereign and God can do what he wants to do. But at the same time, what he wants to do is through his church, through his people. And he cannot do it through you if you aren't in position as a son. Who wants to be used by God? Not everybody's hand went up. I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you today to take heed to what I'm preaching and say, God, is this for me? I assure you it is because I want to be in position. I want to be used by you. Sons are empowered by God to reveal God. I'm going to tell you how that works. They receive his spirit. You receive his nature, right? And when you receive his spirit, when you receive his nature, then you become empowered to walk and sing with God. And here's what that looks like. Here's what the fruit of that looks like it looks like saying what the father says and doing what the father does that whole thing just came back circle uh, full circle you didn't miss that did you sons are empowered by God to reveal God this is how it works you receive his spirit and then with that spirit you are empowered to walk in sync with God now I want to free somebody up this can be a gradual thing the other day I was uh my family and I we were having some family time we were outside um in our driveway pulling weeds. I don't know why weeds keep pulling up. That's a whole sermon in itself. Stuff that ain't supposed to grow up, how it just grows up where it... Mm. Anyway, we were pulling weeds out of our driveway. And all of a sudden, um, this van, uh, Amazon van pulls in, and I look at my oldest son. I go, hey, Levi, I dare you to ask her if she knows Jesus. And Levi said, no, no, no. He suggested politely that I do it. Okay. Okay. So she gives us the package. She um, compliments uh, how beautiful my family is, and she turns away. And then Levi goes, no, 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 no. You just said, I go, oh, excuse me, ma'am. 
do you know Jesus? And she with a huge smile on her face said, yes, I do. It's gradual. It's gradual. My sons are six and there are three. It's gradual. The other week, uh, last week, actually, I was in Virginia uh, doing a wedding, planning for a wedding. I was getting ready to come back to Raleigh and I stopped at a gas station and you have to turn the car off when you get gas. So you roll the windows down. Right. We don't want to bake any children in the car. And so my sons are sitting in the back seat, and I'm pumping gas, and this lady walks up to me. She's distraught. She's a bit emotional, frustrated, I could tell. And she has, has a fistful of quarters. And she says, is there any way you can help me with gas? And I said, well, ma'am, where are you parked? She says, uh, right here. I said, well, I'll be right there. And uh, my sons are looking out the window at this point. Who's daddy talking to? So I go over there, and with my sons watching, I didn't do it for them. I would have done it whether they were there or not. But they got to see me not put just a little 25 cent in her gas tank. I blessed her, and then they got to see me minister to her and her friend who was in the car, and then they got to see me pray for them. And then I got in the car, and I, I checked for understanding. Do y'all understand what just happened? And they said, oh, yeah, you, you, you bought her gas, and then you prayed for her. I said, that is exactly right. Again, I'm empowering my sons and this whole thing, it is gradual. This isn't so you can say Joshua is an amazing father. No, 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 no. It, it also works in the natural as well. And so my sons got to see me in my driveway. My sons got to see me in the sheets parking lot getting gas. Got to see what the father does. Here's point number three. Um, let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 14. That clock is moving. Y'all say, Joshua, you teaching, but you ain't going, mm-mm, we getting out of here on time. Because the worship team took all the time worshiping. I love it. Uh, point number three, real sons are led by the Spirit of God. And that's exactly what verse 14 says, Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. Listen, God leads us by his spirit and his leadership. It is brilliant. It is his record is flawless. And what we need is a constant revelation of God. We need to remember his faithfulness because that'll make it easier to follow. him. we need to remember um, all the times and all the things he's done for us because it just makes it easier to trust him. But we he can use that, but he can also use so many other things so that we can get a constant revelation of who God is. We have to position ourselves in a place where we can constantly get a revelation of who he is so that when he's leading us, we will know how it is that he leads us. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? The fact that this, this verse is in here, real sons are led by the Spirit of God, it means that there are some sons, illegitimate sons, who are choosing to not be led by the Spirit of God. If you're operating in a, a spirit of pride, I don't know, if you're operating in willful sin, that's you leading yourself. If you're operating in your own wisdom, that's you leading yourself and not being led uh, by the spirit of God. But we need this revelation. And I'm going to give you some practical ways to behold him. We become what we behold. And some of you think that I mean just sitting down in the middle of my living room and just staring up in the sky. That's not what I mean at all. I mean, when I behold the Lord, I'm spending quality time in this book. I'm devouring this book. 
I'm spending quality time meditating on the scriptures. I'm spending quality time in worship. I'm not just saying the 20 minutes we get here on a Sunday morning is my worship. Quality time in prayer. Even spending time, you should get in a small group, even spending time with other believers because there is a revelation that Pastor Cameron has of God that I might not have yet. So if I can get around and fellowship with other believers, I can get a hold of the revelation he has. You ever wonder how the four living creatures and the angels for eternity go holy, 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 holy? It's because they're constantly getting revelation of who God is. And if you constantly get revelation of who God is, you won't be bored when you read your Bible. You will not be bored when you pray. You will not be bored when you worship. You won't hang on to that seat in front of you for dear life like you're at Bush Gardens. I hope you had a good time this weekend. Because a constant revelation of who God is makes me want to be, hold him and be like him even more and more and more. And the more I behold his beauty, the more I don't want the ugly things of the world. The more I behold him and I get a hold of his wisdom, the more I won't run to every other person with their mouth open trying to hear what they have to say. The more I behold him and I get a revelation of just how awesome he is, the more I find that it is that he's worthy of everything. There we go. I should say it like that. That he is worthy of everything. John the Baptist said it. John 1, 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That word behold, it is a constant thing. A constant staring at, gazing at, uh, being enamored by. It is constant. And you say, well, I work a 40-hour week and I got kids. How do I do that? I'm going to give you three easy tips. You ready? Write it down. There is always a scripture to quote. There is always a song of worship and praise to sing. And there's always something to give him thanks for. Out loud, you can do all of those things. All of those things. And they start looking at you like you're crazy, say, mind your business. I'm beholding the Lord. You want to behold the Lord because you want his nature, his character, his desires. You want all that to get on you as his child. You want to look like you belong in the family of God. Amen. Speaking of that. Write this down. The best, actually, write it down and repeat after me. The best life is found in the context of family. I'll say it one more time. The best life is found in the context of family. When you are led by God and you get to live in and constantly experience his kindness, his mercy, you know, all that, the good stuff we like about God, you'll discover how amazing he is and what actually pulls on his heart. Pull on his heart. Do you, I, I'm off my notes. I don't even know if I have time to finish all this. But listen, when the Bible says the first great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. If he's not some man-made deity. He's not some faraway God. He has desires. So if he has desires, he can ask for us to love him with everything that we have in him. And the Bible does say that his greatness is unsearchable. It does say that God is great and we know him not, but that is not an invitation to not seek him out. Because he's great, I want to get to know him more. And if the best life is found in the context of family, there's a revelation to be had and a perspective to be gained if I can see God as my father. Let me take it a different way. We like to shy away from talking about his judgment. We like to shy away from talking about his wrath. There's some stuff in the Old Testament I read. I'm just like, God, you savage. I just, 
It'll make a good action movie, but I just don't know if I'm ready for all of that. If I, I just don't know if, I can, if I'm ready to behold you. Like, it's just so much. Okay, let's, let's make it even more practical. I have a friend who is, um, I don't know, identifying as a homosexual. And I don't understand because God loves everybody. Or I don't understand, you know, people could be able to do what they want to do with their own body. I should be able to abort this baby if I want. Or she should be able to abort this baby if I want to abort the baby. And I just don't understand it. If God is love, but if the best life is found in the context of family and you understand your father's heart, then his judgment, then his wrath, his justice, the way he views life, the way he views homosexuality and how he created us all to be. I know I'm all in your business now. The way he created us all to be, you have a much clearer perspective of that. Does that, does that make sense what I'm saying? Life is best lived in the context of family. I'm going to do all of this. Verse, let's go to verse 15. I'm running out of time. Okay, I got freedom. Y'all see that? Romans 8, verse 15. For the spirit which you have now received is not a spirit of slavery to put you once more in bondage to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, the spirit producing sonship in the bliss of which we cry, Abba, Father. This, verse 16. The spirit himself thus testifies together with our own spirit, assuring us that we are Children of God. So it is um, the Holy Spirit, also known as the spirit of adoption in us, that produces sonship. Are you following me? It is the spirit of adoption that does not lead to bondage. Why do I keep talking about perspective? Life lived in the context of family because that affects the way you see God. And if you don't see God as a father, you might think that the spirit on the inside of you is leading you to bondage. I can never do anything. All we do is go to church. All I have to do is pray. All I, no, 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 no. I get to go fellowship with other believers. I get to spend time with my father in prayer and worship and all those things. So it is the spirit of slavery, which does not come from the father, may I mind you, that will lead you to bondage, which will lead you to fear. So if you are in this room today under the sound of my voice, or maybe even watching, and you feel all sorts of tied up and bound, that is not the will of the father, nor is it the Holy Spirit. And there is deliverance for you today. You just come right up here to this altar when we dismiss today because no child of God is supposed to be bound. No child of God. And we will stand with you and we will pray for you and we will declare what the word of God says over you. Amen, church. We want to behold Jesus, but in our beholding, we will become more like Jesus. And in our becoming more like Jesus, we can model sonship. It is through Jesus, y'all, that the adoption fee has been paid. And I don't know how to put this in my sermon, so I'm going to pause right here. Hold your place. If you got a ribbon, put it in your Bible, and let's go to Matthew 17. We're going to come back. Matthew 17, verse 24, what I'm about to say has nothing to do, per se, with Matthew 17 about adoption or sonship, but I I feel like I have to mention it to put it all in the right context. 
All right, here we go. So Matthew 17, verse 24. When they arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the half shekel, the temple tax, went up to Peter and said, does not your teacher pay the half shekel? He answered, yes. And when he came home, Jesus spoke to him about it first, saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do earthly rulers collect duties or tribute? From their own sons or from others, not of their own family? And when Peter said, from other people, not of their own family, Jesus said to them, then the sons are exempt. However, in order not to give offense and cause them to stumble, that is to cause them to judge unfavorably and unjustly, go down to the sea and throw in a hook, take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find there a shekel, take it and give to them to pay the temple tax for me and for yourself. We've often heard this in the context of God's miraculous power, and it's true. We've also heard in the context of God as a provider, and it is true. But Jesus asks Peter this question to get him to understand that we as children of God are from a different kingdom, a higher kingdom. And our king, our God, is higher than this system, higher than this kingdom. Does that make sense? The ways of the kingdom of God are different. The Bible says you want to be blessed, then you need to give. The Bible says you want to be great, and this is where we're going. If you want to be great, then serve. It's so that's what this is right here. It's to get you to realize how the kingdom of God works. Now, turn the page, chapter 18, Matthew. At the same time came the disciples. See, all this is in the same context of what we just read in the previous chapter. At that time, the disciples came up and asked Jesus, who then is really the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to him and put him in the midst of them. Stop right there. He just answered them. Who then is really the greatest in the kingdom? And he called the child. And the child came. You want to be great in the kingdom? Be a child. Our kingdom, the kingdom of God, is one of children. And so he calls him. And the child is humble enough, the child is lowly enough to come. And he puts him in the midst of them, is what the rest of verse 2 says. He puts him, he sets him up in the midst of him. You know, for anybody to put you or set you up, this means you have to be pliable. This means you have to be, uh, you have to be meek. Meekness, hear me now, it is not weakness. Meekness refers to exercising God's strength under his control. A child, again, we read it in verse 3 in the Amplified, is trusting, lowly, loving, and forgiving. And then we don't have to go there, but in Mark chapter 9, the same account, it says the child came and he held the child. Don't let this go over your head. Stay with me. He held the child. If you are led by the Spirit of God, it's not you fighting his will. It's not you fighting his plan and his purpose and he, what he wants to accomplish. If you're going to walk in sonship, you don't grow up and out of it. You say, Joshua, well, I'm in my 50s. I'm in my 60s. Yeah, yeah. You don't grow up and grow out. Real spiritual maturity is growing into childlikeness, which is why he says you must become like a child. You don't 
confess Jesus, he comes into your heart, and instantly you're an infant. You have to be intentional about growing down into childlikeness. Does that, does that make sense what I'm saying? And so he holds to this child, and every child likes to be close. This word is not child in the sense of an eight-year-old, ten-year-old running around. It's child and small child, infant, toddler. I know infant. I know toddler. Infants and toddlers don't have a care in this world. Am I right? They don't care if it's three in the morning. They're going to come get in your bed, and they don't care what's happening. They don't care if there's room in there. They don't care um, if you say, hey, let's go put on some clothes. They will come down the stairs in some green rain boots, some tidy whities and an undershirt and say, let's go bye-bye. They don't have a care. They say, I want this toy. They don't care how many hours you have to work to get it. They don't care where it comes from. They just know that if I ask my mom, if I ask my dad, if I ask my father, he will provide it for me. So what do they do? Is they, 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 they stay close. They stay close. They stay close. This is the essence of childlikeness. It is depending on the father. Let's talk about dependency. It is the chief characteristic of a child. Listen, children provide nothing for themselves. And it is the smallest child that gets the most attention. The smallest child. You want to be the greatest? Be the smallest. It is the smallest child that gets the most attention. And children trust their fathers. There's an example of this guy. He got on top of this building. And he says, hey, I'm a tightrope from this side of the building to that side of the building. Do you think I could do it? They said, no, don't do it, don't do it. He said, I'm going to do it. So he ties a rope here, whatever. Somebody tied a rope there, and he tied ropes. And then he said, hey, I'm going to go back. Do you think I can do it? And they go, yeah, do it. He go, but I'm going to do it with a wheelbarrow. You think I can do it? They said, no, don't do it, man. Don't fool with that wheelbarrow. He gets the wheelbarrow, and he goes across. And yeah, you made it. And he, hey, I'm going to go back with the wheelbarrow. Do you think I can do it? Yeah, all right, but I need somebody to come up here and get in this wheelbarrow. They said, no, 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 no. And then this little child pipes up. So I'll do it. I'll go. He said, hey, get that boy. Bring him up here. So the child comes up here, puts him in the wheelbarrow, y'all, tight ropes. And he, he makes it all across, and everybody just loses their mind. Oh, man, it's great. It's fantastic. Awesome. So this event is over with, and um, a reporter grabs a little child, and he goes, why? How? Like, I, help me understand. What made you want to go up there and get in a wheelbarrow with this stranger? He said, oh, that's no stranger. It's my father. That's my father. Children, they trust their fathers. When I was sitting in that gym with my son, what the Lord showed me, what he taught me, just that quickly. As a father, you, your presence your voice, your affection, it affirms your children. It gives your children direction and protection. My son said all the time, hey, dad, look at this. Look at that. Look at that. You know, I'm the same. But the Lord's showing me, you want my voice because my voice provides direction. When you are unsure, my voice provides affirmation. When you're unsure of where to go, my voice provides wisdom and counsel and comfort. And when you just don't know what in the world is happening, he assures you that you are his. 
This is what a father does. This is what a father does. And I'm, I'm going to wrap this thing up really fast. But we want to be in position as his children to hear what he says. Because there's so much happens when we hear our father speak. There's so much to be gained when we hear our father speak. Going back to Romans chapter 8. That's why I told you to put your, pen, your ribbon in. Verse 16, again, the spirit himself thus testifies together with our own spirit, assuring us that we are children of God. And verse 17, and if we are his children, then we are his heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, sharing his inheritance with him. Only we must share his suffering if we are to share his glory. Let me tell you how adoption works. It is the legal action by which a person takes into his family a child not his own, with the purpose of treating him and giving him all the privileges of his own natural child. That's what God did for us through Christ Jesus. And at the moment of adoption, the newly adopted child loses all the rights, privileges, and responsibilities in his old family. Your old life, your sin, the wrong things you've done, the mistakes you've made, they're cut off and they are forgotten. They are expunged the moment you allow God to adopt you into his family. Adopted children gain all the rights to his new father's estate. Every promise that I find in this book, I have access and have rights to it. He is now an equal with the other sons. That's all of us. Other daughters. That's all of us. And he becomes a co-heir with them by law. And lastly, he is regarded as a new person with a new life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And it is the accepting what Jesus has done in the finished works of Christ that allows the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to come into us. That is the spirit of adoption. And what that does, it offers to us a sense of consciousness and awareness and knowledge that we are children of God.